Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, the sectarianism proxies and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Cinzia Bianco. Cinzia is Gulf Research Fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations and Senior Advisor at Gulf State Analytics. Cinzia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot for inviting me to join. It's my pleasure. Chinsia, can we start, as always, please, by, uh, by you giving us a bit of context about how you got interested in the Gulf and, and the Middle East more broadly, please? Right. So I'm originally from the south of Italy, and we do have a history of interaction with Arab Muslim societies. Um, although it's a, it's a long lost, lost past, uh, it always was very interesting to me. So I basically started being interested in the cultural aspect and the humanities of it uh, early on in my bachelor. And then um, that just, you know, one thing's, thing led to another. And, you know, once you're interested in the Middle East, it's, uh, it can be really a whirlwind. And then that's how I ended up uh, doing more research, particularly on the Gulf, um, because not many people were looking at it. It was in 2011 during my master's. And I was in London at King's College and looking at all these different dynamics, um, I became very interested in these specific areas. So that's how I ended up then doing my PhD at the University of Exeter, specifically on uh, the Gulf Cooperation Council monarchies and their perceptions on security and threats and how they changed in this very hectic period between the Arab Spring in 2011 and the Qatar crisis in 2017. Sure. So can we just uh, just briefly, what was it that prompted the interest, the, the move from this focus on sort of Muslim migration, that personal aspect, to more of a, a focus on the GCC and, and threats and security? So when I was looking at the entire region, I saw, uh, it was 2011, and I could see that these countries that... Uh, up until that point had been, let's say, marginal in foreign policy and regional policy dynamics, had started to become more assertive, more proactive, and uh, had started to even have um, some shaping capacity on the rest of the region. And then I also saw that not many people were looking at the region. So I became interested in these uh, um, not very much explored area. um, And that's how I applied for a European Commission research fellowship. It was based in Oman, and therefore I spent a few months uh, in Oman traveling to the other uh, countries uh, through this European Commission project, specifically on relations between Europe and the Gulf. It was called Sharaka. At that point, it was 2013-2014, and basically I came back to Europe in 2014 thinking um, these, the international relations that these countries have with the rest of the world and Western countries uh, in particular are so dependent on their own security perceptions and so influenced and impacted by it that I can't really look at them uh, in details unless I get a better understanding of how these security perceptions are driving, basically, the policies and international relations of the Gulf monarchies. Sure. Okay. That, that's really interesting. What are your memories from from that time of traveling around Oman and, and the other GCC states in 2013? I mean, it must have been a, a really fascinating, if somewhat precarious, time to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Oman was a real surprise because although, you know, I had approached it uh, through uh, academic studies, 
um, it really is um, can, it still maintains uh, this this aura of, of mysterious um, history and uh, everything about it is is not as as clear uh, as one could uh, imagine. So when I was there, my my memories are just being in awe all the time about the country, the beauty, the national beauty, the history, and learning uh, that it was basically a very uh, the best kept secret. I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly what Omanis would say, I'm sure. Yeah, and then you know that uh, that was uh, that was also at the same time it was very intense because the protests had um, let's say entered a less active phase, but um, it was it had been throughout. 2011, they had started in 2010, actually, the protests in Oman specifically, and then all the whole 2011 and even 2012, um, it was very sensitive. Um, so at the same time, I also saw people and especially officials in Oman looking at me, and in particular projects from European Union uh, and Europe in general, with a little bit of suspicion because the time was, uh, you know, very interesting for them. So it wasn't always the easiest of things to move around, ask questions, do research. Um, but at the same time, this this is also what really made me understand how important security perceptions were. And then the contrast with um, the other countries where I traveled for conferences, for workshops, for additional research was also very clear. And that that's the other thing that I really wanted to explore in my PhD, the differences among the six GCC countries that are, you know, uh, very, um, it's, it's not uncommon that they're put all together in a basket, especially before 2017, the Qatar crisis. Uh, but the differences were very clear to me already. Yeah, sure. So what are some of those differences that struck you when you went to the other GCC states? Well, the first one is, is, is very much related to the divide in macroeconomic indicators. I mean, uh, Oman and Bahrain, um, although very differently, uh, very different in geopolitical terms, in terms of size, in terms of history, in terms of uh, sociopolitical uh, um, fabric uh, even, they share these uh, macroeconomic indicators um, that are very, very different from the UAE and Qatar, which can also, could also be put together. And then when I went to Kuwait, I was very much um, sort of baffled by uh, the intense political activity and how that interacted with their own political economy. Um, the presence of the National Assembly, i.e. the Parliament of Kuwait, um, is really uh, absolutely central to understanding everything about the political life and the economic life of the country. And then finally, I mean, Saudi Arabia, which is this giant and uh, compared to the others and so diverse internally, which was, again, another uh, another in very, very interesting uh, puzzle to solve. At that time, uh, there was King Abdullah reigning. Um, and still, it was so. It was already um, more sealed uh, to the external world than it is today. Yeah, of course. Okay, so that prompted the the decision to do the PhD, and that was at Exeter with Gareth Stansfield, if I am correct. Yes. So, what was the question that you were trying to engage with? Um, basically, it was simply how did security perceptions 
uh, among the six uh, Gulf Cooperation Council monarchies changed between 2011 and 2017. And that evolved into uh, taking into account the interaction between external and internal dynamics and external and internal uh, threat perceptions. How do they interact in a time where you know everything around the region was boiling and global dynamics were shifting the United States um, sort of uh, embarking into a retrenchment uh, and you know at the same time these uh, GCC countries becoming more proactive to a largest extent. Yeah sure it's it's a really interesting thesis and a really interesting set of questions. Uh, I guess the the malleability of of threats is is particularly interesting here. So, what were you um, how were you engaging with these concepts of threats? How did you understand particular things as as, as threats in one state but not in others? How did you put all of this together? Yeah, so uh, the the basic assumption was that in the literature, um, we scholars. Um, often use the term threat uh, to indicate a broad range of security concerns. So when you look at the region in a particular volatile moment, as it was after 2011, you end up with a situation in the literature where every single issue is described as a threat to the GCC monarchies in particular, because perhaps they were less studied and less researched than other countries in the region. So it was all very confusing. And then I saw that there was a mismatch between this sense of gravity and urgency that was assigned to all these different issues and how they were perceived internally. Um, not only, I mean, among the six GCC countries, that's obvious now after the 2017 Qatar crisis that these have different threat perceptions, but also within the country um, as in respect to their own narrative to the outside world. So the starting point was basically the security studies literature and see how really working with the most basic concepts of security, of threat. Um, and I found that Barry Bazan in 1990s did very useful work, at least from my own perspective, because he really unpacked how comprehensive these uh, concepts uh, can be. Um, what I basically, uh, among other scholars, um, then I looked at how these ideas changed throughout time, and in particular with the area studies. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, we, we go from before the Cold War, security intended as simply strategic threats, um, mostly external, mostly related to geopolitical dynamics, and then after uh, the process of internationalization and globalization of the early 2000s, we start seeing studies that really deal with the internal effects of these two processes, so internationalization and globalization, and studies that go to the core of the um, social contract between the citizens and uh, the uh, regimes. So how the uh, differences and changes of this social contract were to be considered as the priority threats. Um, so, for instance, the work of Christian Ulrichsen um, in Secure Gulf uh, is really um, addressing this kind of point. But then I thought there, 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 is, there should be a third wave where that looks really at how not only the, these external and internal dynamics interact, but also the regional ones, because they were yeah. becoming 
more and more prominent, more and more um, active. And I guess that's so, where Barry Buzan is useful, is it, in terms of the, the regional security complex thesis? Exactly. That's also where, where, where that is really useful. Um, so my point uh, after that was really, and that's where it's different uh, from what Buzan looked at, uh, it was really about uh, seeing the degrees of security and the degrees of threat uh, in the perceptions in terms of the priority that these policymakers uh, in the Gulf have. Um, and that's where I think one of the two main, um, if you want to call it innovations, uh, I have tried to, to introduce into this theoretical framework. The first one being the difference between threats and risks. And basically, the difference uh, from my own point of view, my own work, is that uh, the, the issue should be treated and is treated and perceived as a threat only when it has a clear-cut political dimension that really sees uh, a hostile actor um, having intent and capacity to threaten state sovereignty, identity, and the functional integrity of the borders and institutions. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to reading this when it comes out as a as a monograph in the hopefully not too distant future, Chinsia. It's really interesting stuff. And I really do like the idea of, of using Barry Bazan's regional security complex as a way of looking at these these complex interactions at, at different levels of analysis. Yeah, thank you very much. So Chinsia, you, you finished the thesis and then yeah. you you got a job at the ECFR, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Fantastic. So you moved from from academia into a more policy-oriented think tank. Is that fair to say? Is that fair to describe the ECFR like that? Absolutely, yeah, that's exactly that. So what was the appeal to that? I mean, uh, that was uh, that was a kind of a new challenge for me. I mean, uh, when with the project of the, Euro the European Commission, they've also wanted us to produce policy relevant research, but uh, it was a very different perspective before a PhD, you know, and then after doing all the work, all that work on analytical um, and intellectual um, concepts. Uh, then to go to policy relevant and policy oriented um, research or or simply um, ideas, it, it's a bit it's quite a, it's quite a leap. Uh, but I thought that it was time to maybe go back to what had initially interested me in the region, which is the relations between European countries and the GCC, and see how I would look at them with the different perspective and more in-depth knowledge of these six countries. So I guess it's a mixture of wanting a new challenge and wanting to see how my studies then impact um, these kind of international relations questions. And how have you found it moving back to, to this think tank policy-driven world, having had that, that detailed experience of being in academia for, for the PhD and, and getting to grips with that rich theoretical material that you've talked about with Barry Buzan, etc.? I mean, in a nutshell, it's about uh, trying to communicate, um, you know, these sort of bigger uh, academic um, questions and, and material to a policy audience who is always short in time and always looking for the uh, strict relevance to their own strategic objectives or political objectives. 
So the biggest challenge is, I think, communication. But at the same time, it's also one of the most fascinating um, aspects of the job, in my in my opinion. I've always been a bit of a um, sort of a hybrid academic in the sense that I've still, during my PhD, tried to engage with the private sector, with the public sector, with other think tanks, uh, I mean, publishing here and there uh, once in a while, and even with the wider public trying to engage with uh, some uh, events uh, that are catered uh, to, to the, the wider audience. So I think this sort of uh, um, contamination between these worlds uh, is also what keeps me very, very interested in in the in the line of work that I do. Although it probably has an impact on on the different uh, on the performance of, of on the different uh, levels, but it really keeps things um, very, very interesting for me. Mm, I can I can see that. Please excuse the the yawn. I'm still trying to get to grips with this post Brexit nightmare that we're we're in over here. <laughs> so I, I I like that we're talking about European projects at present. Um. <laughs> What advice, Cinzia, would you give anyone looking to, to do what you've done in that move from academia to, to policy? Because it's it's such a challenging thing to do, to communicate these rich theoretical ideas that that you gain through the PhD and, and to reduce them into a digestible chunk that can be um, that can be absorbed, if you will, by a policymaker. What would you what would you tell people looking to get into this world? Yeah, and operation, uh, operationalized. That's the the, yeah. the hardest bit. How do you get you know concepts to become operational? Um, I think that um, I mean it's the first thing that I would say is to try and be humble in the sense that we, when we are in the midst of our academic world, clearly, I mean, we are really sucked into the, the conversations and amazing you know exchange with great intellectuals. Um, and, you know, there is an undeniable sense of superiority in academia, and I can definitely see why um, I've been a victim of it myself. But then, you know, try to look at the fact that the world is, is, is really much bigger than, than the academic world is. And especially at this time, um, I think if someone that really can navigate um, academic work pushes uh, himself or herself to engage with uh, policy people and even the wider public, it can be beneficial. Uh, it's very hard. It's very difficult. I um, and I, I do understand the challenges, but at the same time, you know the the world uh, as such is incredi- incredibly volatile. There are many challenges, and I think that academics can really be helpful um, in to try and tackle some of these questions in the public discourse if they push themselves a little bit more out uh, in the out- outside world. Yeah, and outside of comfort zones, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, very much outside of their comfort zones. But it's incredibly rewarding from the bits that I have done. And I can tell from, from hearing you speak about it, Cinzia, that, that you're very passionate about it. And and I can certainly understand why. But Cinzia, um, we're, we're running out of time. And I, I thank you so much for doing this. But I'd like to take you back to academia just for one final question, if I may, please. Sure. And that's to, to ask you a bit about your piece in International Affairs, which I, I assume relates to the thesis. And this is uh, a piece titled The Intra-GCC Crises, Mapping GCC Fragmentation After 2011. 
And I wonder, can you just tell us a little bit about about that piece, what you were trying to do, please, and and perhaps the different stages in the crisis that, uh, or the crises, I should say, that that emerged post twenty eleven, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and correctly, you said the crises because the crises of uh, 2013 and 2014, which again put Qatar uh, on one side and Saudi UAE on the other, um, are basically uh, based on the same concerns or same uh, allegations that then are brought back in 2017. Um, so really, it, that's also helpful to see how these differences uh, can be structural. And another thing that I've tried to do, um, and I've the, the, the piece in international affairs does that uh, in a very seminal way, is to try and differentiate between structural vulnerabilities of uh, any country, in particular uh, the six GCC countries individually, and how these interact with perceptions, which are instead always contingent, they are dynamic process, they are impacted by a number of factors, um, including structural vulnerabilities, but also um, specific events or specific actors, and even the leadership cognition. And, you know, we know um, uh, by looking at, for instance, how the UAE um, relates to Muslim Brotherhood, that also the cognition of one of the most important leaders, if not the most important leader, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, really impacts that. Um, so it's uh, it's a very elusive object for research, but it's one that really drives, uh, uh, especially in these uh, systems, really drives then policy. So it's, uh, again, you can see that already in my academic work, I was looking for the policy making relevance um, yeah. and impact. An impact. So that that piece in international affairs uh, looks at basically how things evolved and how there were different phases, uh, especially from Saudi, the Saudi point of view. Of course, with the change of leadership, really changed the pace of uh, their opposition to uh, Qatar and uh, also the magnitude with which the uh, leadership perceives different threats or different risks and the dimension in which these are perceived as external, as internal, or as intermestic. And that's the second and, and last, I would say, sort of innovation, if you want. Um, although it was already used, uh, this concept uh, that I tried to tackle in, the, in my thesis, which is how uh, you know, external, so international and internal, so domestic um, security perceptions uh, interact, um, creating these sort of monsters that are intermestic perceptions, and they become uh, most in most cases. Uh, that's you know what the research has, has shown, perceived as the priority issues uh, from the point of view of the leadership. Um, so that that uh, article is, is basically a starting point, trying to differentiate where issues were more mostly perceived as domestic, so therefore more, more likely as risks or more manageable threats, or where basically there was the emergence of intermestic issues and they slowly morphed into what were perceived and are still today perceived in some cases as intermestic threats. 
Thank you. It's it's really interesting hearing you flesh that out a little bit. I really enjoyed reading the article and I, I urge people to, to look at it if they haven't done so already because it, it really challenges this this incorrect hypothesis or thesis that the GCC states were this coherent block viewing threat in a, in a sort of homogenous way. So I think the article's really important in that regard. So do check it out. And Cynthia, uh, Cynthia, thank you so much for for joining us today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and working through these these different parts. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.